0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com/slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC.
1: show and our latest check-in with the world of major league soccer there's almost exactly two months of the 2023 regular season remaining so we're taking a look at the runners and riders the big player transactions and the storylines to keep an eye on my name's ryan bailey joining me in what we're calling a terrific twosome today your friend of mine joe lowry hiya joe
2: Hi, Ryan. Uh, quick question. Who all is calling it a terrific twosome? Uh, if there's more than just you, I- I'll probably get on board. If this is something you're trying to start, I might need a little convincing.
1: I was trying to make fetch happen. Full disclosure okay. here, Joe. All right. And, uh, all right. And we're off to a bad start. It was either that or well, gruesome twosome, and I thought terrific was a bit more positive.
2: Terrific, terrific is better. And Ryan, you know what? Your honesty is refreshing. I really do appreciate that. I- I'm on board, baby. Terrific twosome. Taylor and Graham, you guys are going to have to form your own terrific to some because we're the original one now boom roasted
1: <laughs> indeed uh, well the the, uh, the other two members of the crew uh taylor feeling a bit under under the weather today and graham uh, not able to join us with scheduling today but joe we're gonna have a lovely time talking about america's premier division of the soccer so you excited i'm excited
2: league mx baby wait no i did i did all my prep on league mx I, you did too right that's what we're talking about in america's premier division mm-hmm. I said, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm excited. I'm excited. We're coming off of the League's Cup, which was, I maintain, a fantastic spectacle. Not perfect, as we've talked about multiple times, but genuinely very, very fun to the point where I was, I don't know that I was fully against it to begin with, but I was skeptical, and I have been converted very, very uh, heavily at this point. So I'm excited for next year's version. It's also presented now this weird... Jarring motion that I think a lot of folks who watch MLS are going through where the Leagues Cup final and the third place game were both on Saturday. We're recording on Tuesday, August 22nd. Those games were on Saturday. You blink and sort of like we talked about yesterday, you're trying to enjoy a little bit of a break before the action starts up again. And then there were maybe nine MLS games on Sunday, which was actually, Ryan, a light MLS slate. Uh, thanks to, not, I'm not trying to make light of, Hurricane Hillary, which postponed a couple of games in California, and Leagues Cup, which pushed other games around and back. So it's a very weird, jarring time to get back into Major League Soccer. The transfer window happened overlapping with Leagues Cup. So we've seen some new additions play, but you know not technically in MLS. And so we're in this weird space, but we're getting back into the regular season. I think it should be a fun remainder of the year. There's usually more fireworks towards the end of these seasons than there are, certainly in the middle, but maybe even towards the beginning as well. So there's a lot to play for still, thanks to MLS letting everybody and their mothers into the playoffs. Lots to play for, and I think it's going to actually be a, a pretty fun end of the year.
1: Well, that's good to hear. And on the Leagues Cup, Joe, I think I also had an Ancelotti eyebrow raised when it was first announced, because overtly it seemed about money rather than necessarily growing Uh, the game in North America, although maybe there is a long-term vision for that. I think there's an overlap
2: between those two things, by the way. I think there is a necessary overlap there.
1: Two things can be true. You're quite right, Joe. But uh, do do we feel like... It's it's obviously hard to ask this question at the moment. Do we feel like it it has broken the flow of the MLS season? Or because MLS teams are all involved in it anyway, it's not too discordant with the regular season?
2: Yeah, it has broken the flow pretty inarguably, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing, right? Because my... The, the biggest pet peeve that I have with Major League Soccer, a league that I watch more than any other, a league that I genuinely enjoy very, very much and, and would like to see continue to grow, the biggest issue is that the regular season means so little, right? Because until you get to the very end and teams realize they have to kick it into gear, and you can talk to MLS players and former MLS players about this. Kalen Carr, I think, was on Extra Time recently and, and, and sort of talked about how in the past when he was playing in Major League Soccer for Chicago and Houston – You'd realize like, okay, we're in the last 10 games. Like now we got to really turn it on so we can make the playoffs. There's not the incentive from game one to game 34 to play hard all the time because the margins are so wide, right? Like you're not going to get relegated. You're not really going to be punished for doing poorly. And so instead you you can kind of just bide your time and really wait for the right moment to put your energy into this. Not that players aren't trying at different times, but you get what I'm saying, right? The stakes are yeah. lower, which means that what you put into it can can be lower. You can get away with that. And so for me, Ryan, it's not necessarily a bad thing to break up the regular season because you get into July, you get into August, and, and normally that's when like my interest personally, not that anybody really cares about this, is kind of waning, right? I am less interested in what's happening on the field because – you, you almost feel like you can see the players going through motions a bit more and there's injuries and it just feels like summer in every way. And I guess not the positive kind of out by the beach kind of way. It just feels like all the bad parts of summer. And so to have something break up that monotony and now provide a bit of a reset in a clear last chunk of the regular season that can mean something. I'm, I'm kind of on board with that, Ryan. I didn't know if I would be, but I think I am.
1: Well, that's good. Maybe it's a, a good uh, point of delineation when the league comes in. If 10 or 11 games to go in the season... I'm getting the sense you were saying this is going to be the best part of the season. Obviously, a lot more on the line for for these teams. Is it traditionally sort of the last 10 or 11 games when things like, is there a noticeable difference in quality, do you think?
2: I I don't know about quality, but in energy, right? It always seems to me that you can see players out there on the field give a little bit more. And, And again, I'm not trying to say that these players aren't trying, but I think there is a difference as the year goes on towards the output that. Maybe coaches demand and towards the amount of investment and energy that goes into some of these games. Yeah, I I think I can see that, Ryan. It's not true for every team, right? Like, let's be honest, some of the teams towards the bottom of the table. I'm not sure we're going to see a massive uptick in performance from some of them because even though they're not eliminated from playoff contention, it feels very, very unlikely. But I mean, this year, especially I'm I'm guessing we're going to see, especially from teams in the Eastern Conference with Miami breathing down their necks. We're going to see teams really make a push. We're going to see teams like Chicago that need results, teams like NYCFC that need results and are very much at risk of being passed by by a Miami team that's been supercharged in the greatest transfer window in MLS history. Like, we're going to see some real thrust here.
1: Okay, well, we're going to talk about that transfer window. We're going to talk about some of the big moves on these teams and uh, some of the playoff pushes. But before we get there, Joe... What would you say has been the key storyline of the 2023 season? Let's let's assume we're not going to talk about Leo Messi because yeah. not technically played in MLS at this point. What is the big storyline from the first two-thirds of the season? Is it St. Louis basically doing what they're doing? Is it, is it something else?
2: I think that's a huge part of it. I think I've been fascinated by more opportunities that MLS and Liga MX teams have had to play against each other. This is the first year where we've had the Expanded Leagues Cup crossed over with the end of the CONCACAF Champions League, which will now be the artists formerly known as the CONCACAF Champions League. But, you know, there were, there were more and better opportunities to see those teams play against each other, so I think that's notable. But in terms of, of the teams, yeah, I think it has to be St. Louis City. They're still top of the Western Conference. Seven points clear. Anybody else behind them? Now they have a game in hand on, on at least LAFC trailing behind. But... What St. Louis have done this year continues to impress me. know, I think there are lots and lots of reasons why they can continue to cause problems. They're not a, a perfect team. No team in Major League Soccer is, right? But what they've done in an expansion season it absolutely blows my mind. To be seven points clear at the top of the Western Conference with a lot of very good teams also towards the top of that Western Conference, that's just something that doesn't happen. And for things to go as well as they have for, uh, for St. Louis, that's notable. And one other one that I, I would toss out on a team... From a team perspective of Cincinnati being as good as they have been, yeah. they are very clear atop the supporter shield race right now, 51 points on top of the Eastern Conference. Through 24 games played, they're they're I think at like 2.13 points per game, which is not quite a record pace, but is very, very good. Let's not forget the Cincinnati team was the butt of basically every joke in Major League Soccer not long ago, and the way they've transformed finding talent in hard-to-reach places and finding talent in more obvious places as well. Getting that to mesh both, you know, reaching inside and outside of Major League Soccer. That that progress continues to be impressive. And then I'll, I'll toss out one more. I think on the transfer side, and we'll talk more about this. I think we're seeing MLS get more and more involved in the global transfer market. Like, they're they're reaching their arm further and further into the gears to help fix things. And they're, like, now pretty well entrenched in that side of things. We'll talk about Georgie Petrovich later. But we're at the point where elite global clubs, like the clubs that are at the top of the food chain, like Chelsea... Are, are looking and they're looking for a legitimate player in Georgi Petrovich who can go and, and maybe even make an impact on their team before the end of this season. MLS teams are, are deeper down this transfer market rabbit hole than I think they've ever been before.
1: That's good to hear. And uh, one more question for you on, on this kind of theme, Joe. Apple TV. We talked about it extensively at the start of the season and what the deal meant for the league. Uh, maybe we should Visit this at the conclusion of the season, sure. but obviously, how do we feel that's gone? How do we think that package is looking at this point? Obviously, we're hearing numbers that have doubled since Leo Messi signed on to the uh, to, to into Miami. Are we are
2: we still feeling good about the product there? Would you like your two bags of peanuts? We can double it from one to two. I, it, it's hard <laughs> to know, right? What the numbers actually are, and it, it's it's good for Major League Soccer certainly, and good for good for the owners and the teams that the numbers have doubled since Leo Messi came in. I don't doubt that. It just would be helpful if we we really knew what the numbers were. I know reports that come out about a million subscribers to, to MLS season pass. That was a while ago now, and, and I, I can't personally speak to the accuracy of those reports. Not that I'm doubting the folks that have reported them, but mm-hmm. it, it's not something that I really know or have knowledge of. So that's a bit of a question mark still for me. But Ryan, compared to where the TV coverage has been, as someone who is going to watch Major League Soccer either way, it's been miles better. It's been yeah. It's been what we thought it would be, where there's real investment. It's being given... Uh, more than 12 pixels on a TV screen from ESPN or from Fox or whatever it is. ESPN was always worse in that regard. Like the, the quality of the broadcast is better. I don't think everything is perfect. You know, the fact that all of the kickoff times still overlap so much, you know, there's maybe three windows on a Saturday or something along those lines feels detrimental. And I'll be shocked if that doesn't change for next season. I think some of the the broadcasters have done a really, really good job. Uh, I think there's still room for you know, different voices in the broadcast side and on the studio side as well. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling for anybody to lose their job. I, I really respect a lot of the work that's been done to continue to build this product. I don't know, Ryan. I know you haven't seen probably as much as I have, but you have seen some things and I'm sure you've tuned in here and yeah. there. What, what's your perspective on that?
1: Well, I think it's fantastic. Obviously, I've been an international viewer for this past year as well. So the fact that I can watch the product very easily uh, and, and the, I, I watch a lot of the game recaps on a sunday morning because obviously the time zones don't work haven't worked for me in europe very well so i find that the way it's packaged very good i love the recap shows i think it's generally done very well so i've been impressed with the product as a whole i'll be interested to see how it does evolve uh, as, yeah. as seasons go on you did mention there, joe you said it'll be useful to know what the real numbers are which i feel is a phrase you could apply to other areas of
2: mls very much so ryan very yeah. much so <laughs> let's apply that to rosters and tv numbers shall we i think that'd be yeah great. let's
1: let's do that. All right, good stuff, Joe. Uh, before we get to the transfers, some breaking-ish news. Uh, Gilles Savarese, the Timbers coach, parted ways with uh, his club.
2: Mm, is this a good time to lose your coach? Not convinced. No, it, it's it's not a good time to lose your coach, but for Portland... You know, this season isn't lost, but it's closer to loss than they would have hoped after making a, a big splash and breaking their club record transfer fee to sign Vander from Midtjylland over the offseason. They bring him in, and, and to be fair, he's dealt with injuries. There have been other injuries in the squad that have made the job for Gio Savarese harder than he certainly would have wanted or would have preferred. But things haven't been working out in Portland for the last couple of seasons. They certainly haven't been working out this year. So in that way, Ryan, in terms of, of cutting your losses and maybe trying to kickstart a new era, and not waiting until the offseason necessarily to, to try and get those things moving. I'm not sure it's the worst possible time. So this is coming off the back of, of the Timbers losing 5-0 to the Houston Dynamo over the weekend. They're currently 12th in the West. Ryan, they're second to last in the Western Conference. They're averaging just over one point per game. It's, it's just, it's been bad. It's been a bad mm. season for the Timbers. There's really no other way to, to look at it. They've had good moments. They beat the Sounders in, in ridiculous fashion earlier this year. And that's always something that's going to put a smile on Portland Timbers fans' faces. But it seems to me that a change has been needed and certainly was needed now or or very, very soon. So Gio Savarese has been with Portland since 2018. He made it to MLS Cup twice, so he has a good record in, in, in the postseason when they get there. They lost to Atlanta in 2018 and lost to NYCFC at home in 2021. Gio Savarese did some good stuff. Seems to be, and I've never had the chance to chat with him, but... You could tell sort of when uh, the tweets start rolling in, quote, tweeting the official announcements and and things like that from broadcasters and from other people in this space. You know, he was very well liked. You know, he comes across very well as a a person and has a a really impressive story, was involved in lower division American soccer for a while with the Cosmos and and has done a lot of things in his career and did a lot of good with the Timbers. But, you know, as, as a coach, I'm not sure I ever saw tactically something that really made me think he could take a team and make them into more than the sum of their parts. No, I, they finished 12th this year at the end of his time with the team. Eighth last year, fourth in 2021. If we cut out 2020, which I, I think is fair, but maybe not. They finished third that year for the record. But sixth in 2019, fifth in 2018, that's only one finish higher than fourth place in the Western Conference during his time in charge with the club if you discount 2020, which which I do, right? So, again, time for a change. I think this will be a good opportunity for Portland to hit a reset button. We don't know that they're actually going to do that, given that Merit Paulson is still involved in the club and there have been lots of issues there. There have been turmoil. There has been turmoil in the front office, which I think maybe is, is the more important role, general manager and that, that chief soccer officer role, rather than the head coach. And maybe this change shouldn't just stop with Gio Savarese.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, hit a reset button ourselves. A quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the biggest transfer deals that have gone down over the summer. Back shortly.
0: New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win. But you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one. It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC.
3: Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. broker-dealer.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome to our MLS two-thirds of the way season recap? Is that what we're calling yes. it? Very pithy. Yes, Very pithy that's
2: got a ring. I've got the t-shirts printing up right now. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Let's write the jingle for that one. Um, how big generally is the summit window for MLS, Joe? Is it Obviously, it's kind of an equivalent of the European winter window, sure. but the teams tend to have some uh some good outlay here obviously we see a lot of player transactions going towards europe at this time of year but do, yeah, yeah. do we usually see this level of investment from ols teams
2: I'd have to go back and check the numbers from year to year, but I think of the summer window as being a, a pretty active one for a lot of teams in Major League Soccer. It's not quite like the winter window where everybody will make moves. You know, we'll see transactions for every single team. There were teams in this summer trans- transfer window that didn't do anything, and they just kind of sat on their hands and said, you "No, know, we're content with where we are right now. But, I mean, there were a, a decent number of moves, and we usually do see some big ones happen because maybe a star is going to Europe, and you have to make a signing to replace that player or whatever it is, right? You know, there are ways that teams get get around still finding ways to make moves in the summer window, even though the season is is mostly done by this point. And now it certainly is mostly over. But yeah, we saw some big moves, and, and that's not a huge surprise. You can usually bank on at least a few.
1: All right. Well, there have certainly been a few incoming moves. Columbus Crew making some of those, Joe. Diego Rossi coming in from Fenerbahce for a start.
2: Yeah, I love this signing from the Columbus Crew, and, and I'm, I'm stoked to have a chance to talk about a lot of these transfer moves, because I think the crew and what they've done, you know, it's, it's among the best work that was done in this transfer window. Lucas Zellerion going out, so now he is, uh, is playing in Saudi Arabia. They also send out Milos Deganek to Serbia and Eloy Room to Vitesse. So that's, you know, three potential starters, and, and Room was was kind of involved in that conversation early in the year. And Zalarian's certainly a, a star, and Degenek may be forced out by Wilfred Nancey choosing not to use any center backs at all. Um, so they've made some changes there, and in came Diego Rossi coming from Turkey. Maybe folks know him better from his time with LAFC, where he was one of the best young, you know, kind of wide forwards in Major League Soccer when LAFC were at the height of their powers, playing opposite of Carlos Vela under Bob Bradley, Rossi's in, Julian Gressel's in, they brought in Yevgen Cherepko from Ukraine, or 25-year-old Ukrainian center back, Rudy Camacho as well coming in from Montreal, so they, they made a number of moves, but it is that Rossi for Zellerion swap, not that it was a swap in terms of clubs, but you know, you're, you're likely losing one starter and adding another with Zellerion leaving and Rossi coming in, and then Gressel coming in on the right side. This crew team had some success in League's Cup, didn't make it as far as they would have wanted to, certainly. They beat FC Cincinnati, the Supporter Shield favorites, 3-0 on Sunday. They kind of squashed Cincinnati, not that there weren't chances going the other way, but it was a really high-quality game. And from very early on, you could see the impact that Gressel, who started on the right side, will make in that spot. And he played in League's Cup as well. But he brought a lot really good balls on the floor, good service on the right side, exactly what we've come to know and love about Julian Gressel, and then Rossi comes in you know, with about a half hour remaining in the game, and he's playing off the left side. Looks a lot like the role he played with LAFC. You Kucha know, Hernandez off the right side, and, and Rossi's making a lot of direct runs. He's floating between the lines. He's doing really what you want a high-level you know, summer signing to do for you as you try to charge up the Eastern Conference standings. So, Ryan, I really like this window. It's not a like-for-like like. with Zellerion going out. He's much more of a number 10, ball-dominant kind of player can score and create chances. Rossi will be more of a scorer than a chance creator. He can do a bit of that, you know, a, a bit of both of those things, but Rossi will help the crew continue to turn into a Wilfred Nance team and, and really be purposeful and quick with all their possession play. Whereas the other maybe now and then takes an extra beat on the ball and, and slows things down a bit.
1: OK, well, Columbus are fifth in the east. They're a point ahead of Nashville, who are, checks notes, yes, still in the east. Um, Sam Saros is coming in from Nottingham Forest to Nashville as a DP this summer. So they've got Hadi Mukhtar and Walker Zimman and him as the three DPs. That seems pretty strong, Joe. Are we expecting yeah. them to push up from sixth, maybe uh, climb a little in these last 10 games.
2: I, I think so, right? The top of the Eastern Conference is is quite good. And I think in general this year, the Eastern Conference from top to bottom is better than the Western Conference. Cincinnati have that top spot probably locked up. Then you have New England who are good, you know, if, if, if slash when Petrovich leaves. That will be a big question, and I, I don't like them in the East as much as I like a couple of the other teams. But Philly in third, very good, made it to the League's Cup semifinals and, and locked up a spot in the Triple C, which is what I'm going to try calling the CONCACAF Champions Cup. We'll, we'll see Trip how it C. ends. Yeah, yeah, like that. That's, that's how we should say it, Ryan, from this point <laughs> forward. But Philly are very good, and, and they got a little stronger in this summer transfer window as well. Orlando, I'm not really sold on. Sorry, Orlando fans, but Columbus in fifth and, and Nashville in sixth. Those teams are all very, very good, and Orlando and New England certainly have something to offer as well. But yeah, Ryan, you mentioned Nashville signing Sam Surridge. He's been great. He's been really, really good. Three goals and four appearances for Nashville in in their run in League's Cup. They made it to the final, losing to Miami in penalties, as we talked about on yesterday's show. Scored three goals, three off the bench, right? So he's coming over from Nottingham Forest, where he played 20 games in the Premier League last year. 19 of them were off the bench. So I think he had like you know just over 300 minutes, right? So he was at the end of Nottingham Forest's attacking depth chart. But if that Premier League form, or lack thereof, won't translate to Nashville, we will see that that form that he had in the championship transfer over. It seems like that anyway. He scored nine goals in about 1,300 minutes the year before last in the championship between Stoke and Forest. So he was pretty productive in the championship, right? And and for me, I don't know what you, you think about this, I think that is a pretty favorable transfer, right, where you get a player who's been productive at the championship level coming to Major League Soccer in a very clearly defined system with a league MVP type of talent, Nahani Mukhtar, playing next to him. I would expect that type of player to shine, and so far, that's exactly what we've seen.
1: Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that, Joe. And on that note, we should probably talk about Minnesota getting Timu Pukki, once again, a championship-proof product, a championship top scorer, I believe, uh, in the yeah. season before uh, Norwich, one of their promotions. Uh, Timu Puki also did very well in the Premier League as well. He's 33 years old now, uh, now at Minnesota. What, what are we expecting of, uh, of the pu- the Pookie product in, uh, been, <laughs> in Minnesota?
2: It's been fun so far. It's been really fun, Ryan. And... I think Pookie is one of those players, you mentioned he's 33, certainly not at his prime at this point, right? But he's one of those players that I think age will define him less than maybe a lot of other forwards. I don't think of Pookie's game as being focused on and independent on athleticism all the time. He likes to slip in behind, but he's really clever with his touches. He's small. He's a small player, right? And so it's not like you're always trying to you know, bang long balls up to him Minnesota style or or, you know, even Norwich style at times. Although they played some pretty soccer in the championship, don't get me wrong. But it's not as if you're always trying to use his physicality. When I watch Pookie and when I've well, I've watched him in the past in, in England and now with Minnesota, you know, his movement is so sharp. And it's not always dependent on speed, but it's it's timing. It's an understanding of space. And in, in that way he is sort of a classic number nine because that's where number nines make their money is with their movement inside the box. And you can continue that for a long time. Minnesota's attacking setup with Timo Pukki up top as that 9 in a 4-2-3-1. Emmanuel Reynoso's back after a hiatus, shall we say, in Argentina with a a lot going on in his life, not all of it good. He's back as that number 10 and, and has been back for a while, but they'll get him for the rest of this stretch into the playoffs. And then you've got Bongi on the wing off to the right side, although he suffered a bit of a knee injury against NYCFC over the weekend. We'll see what that looks like. But that attack had a lot of success in League's Cup. That attack on talent, I think, is, is definitely towards the top of the Western Conference. It seems to me that Minnesota right now are trending up faster than maybe any other team who's not in the top three or four in the West.
1: Okay, well, keeping things in the West, Joe, uh, how about the defending champs, LAFC? Uh, what kind of moves have they been making over the summer? Do we feel like they've had their Galactico Thunder stolen a little bit this year?
2: It's it certainly feels that way, right? With Miami taking all the shine in the Western con, I mean the Eastern Conference. Excuse me, of the teams in the West, I think LAFC probably had the best transfer window. They're currently second in the Western Conference. They made it to the quarterfinals of Leagues Cup. They lost to Monterey after taking the lead, I believe, two 0 in that game. You know, they are fully capable of competing with the best of the best in this region, and that that has not changed at anything. They've gotten better, as I said, in this summer transfer window. They added real talent. They finally signed, Ryan, a number nine, which has been missing for the entire season up to this point. I kid you not, they have been playing with either Carlos Vela in in the number nine spot, Dennis Pawanga rotating in, Steve A. rotating into that spot. I mean, they've, they've used a very fluid front three, which has worked a lot for them, and it's helpful to have that trick to pull out of your bag, but they've missed a, a back-to-goal, kind of more traditional veteran player. They have some, some youngsters who can do that job, but... Mario Gonzalez, who's the number nine that they signed, looks like a perfect fit and and showed well in the bits and pieces that we've seen from him already. He scored 0.71 goals per 90 in Belgium last year. So, you know, close to a goal every 90 minutes, which is a a really, really good rate, was just slightly below that level, but still uh, had a very good season in Portugal a couple of years ago. 10 plus goals in, in two different countries. It's a Decent way to go out and find players. You look at their underlying numbers, you look at their goal-scoring records, Gonzalez kind of ticks all of those boxes. He's coming in as a veteran number nine that will fit right into Steve Tarandolo's front three, a player that they've truly missed ever since Chicho Arango went to Pachuca after LAFC won the title last year, and now he popped up again in Major League Soccer with Real Salt Lake. But LAFC now, Ryan, have that number nine to fit in their front three that hopefully get a little bit more out of Vela and Buanga and some of the the other younger players in the attack LaFC added another young winger from Uruguay. They added a, a young central midfielder. They got Mamadou Fall back from Villarreal. They got deeper straight up. Yeah, they lost Jose Sifuentes to Rangers. Graham said, you know, Rangers are are uh, not doing well right now. They're in a bit of chaos. But Sifuentes has apparently been very good there. They lost in Ecuador. International who was at the World Cup. They lost to Poku as well to Montreal. But in my mind, there's there's no doubt at all that LaFC got better in this window. And, and frankly, it wouldn't surprise me if they. Maybe overtake St. Louis at the top of the west, game in hand, seven point gap at least they're going to close that gap between now and decision day. okay, well, might things be
1: affected in terms of their coaching? Steve Trerandlow, we know has been uh, at least a desirable coach we 've seen uh, rumors linking him to the u s job we've seen rumors linking him to Europe as well mm-hmm. maybe maybe making that the next coach to make that Jesse Marsh kind of move. Do we think there's potential for that to happen in the near future?
2: I don't think there's any chance of it happening before the season ends. At this point, Steve Terundolo is still a fairly green head coach at the senior level. You know, He was coaching in Las Vegas, coaching in Germany before that, and now just in his second season with LAFC. Had a ton of success last year, obviously. There's no doubt about that. Has made deep runs in CCL, but frankly, it is in CCL where we can see maybe some of the shortcomings. LAFC switched to a back three, kind of out of the blue in, in the final earlier this year. They ended up losing that game. It's hard to say how much of the blame should fall on Terundolo for the tactical switch and how much should fall on the players for the, the poor execution in that back three because they were chasing shadows a bit in that final. That LAFC lost, of course. And now Terundolo is back in the regular season. The team's doing well and I expect will do even better over the last several games here. But it's hard to look at this team and say that Terundolo has made them into more than the sum of their parts. Right Last year, yeah. Ryan, they're the most talented team in the league and they perform at that level. And it's hard to do that, but, but they kind of meet expectations maybe slightly exceed them given the trophies they win but this year they're kind of back in that same range I want to see Chirundolo before he moves to a big job or maybe in the next job we'll have a chance to really outkick his coverage I want to see him do some of that and maybe LAFC is not a place where that can happen but I'm just not sure we've seen it yet
1: that's interesting I picked I I, picked it like a Wrexham move for some reason I don't think that's on the cards in any way but it just makes me think of phil parkinson because also a player a coach who i in my opinion doesn't get more than the sum of his parts sure, out of the sure. players so it's um know.
2: well ryan the difference between phil and between and steve is taylor rockwell has assisted one of those players or <laughs> shoot maybe he scored off of a Toronto ball i can't remember the story but taylor's taylor's played soccer with one and i would assume not the other and so i think we know who should be managing the next big job between those two it's got to be steve it's got to be taylor's best friend steve yeah. That is the qualification
1: we require for these kind of things, Indeed. Joe. Absolutely. Into Miami, then. Let's get to them. A lot of business, uh, suffice to say. A lot of quite uh, prominent business as well, Joe, with uh, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, a few others. Who's that Who's that big Argentine guy? I can't remember. Tato
2: what's... Martino. That's who you're
1: thinking yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So lots of, uh, lots of uh, <laughs> um, and some good winter acquisitions as well, Joseph Martinez and the like, so As I mentioned on a previous uh, TSS show, I was speaking to someone whose job is to set the prices for betting operators, Mm. who said basically Inter Miami from now on in are the favourites in every game they play. That's just de facto. That's just how it's going to work from now on. And if you look at the actual odds for MLS Cup this season, they're third. They're third. In the Joe. They're seven to one.
3: Which is
2: which is wild a bit given that they're still not even in the playoff field yet, right, Ryan? I mean they've <laughs> yeah. got they've got they have to have an almost perfect last stretch, which feels exceedingly possible now for them to make the playoffs. Um but it, it does go to show how high the bookmakers are on them, justifiably so, given that they're what, still down at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. It's it's mm. kind of wild right now, Ryan.
1: And how do we how do we feel about the way they've put this team together? It does feel like they've almost unlock things here as you mentioned uh well they're bottom they're still bottom of the <laughs> of the Eastern Conference as we go into MLS play or as they do they, they believe they were supposed to play against Charlotte FC it was postponed yep. as their first MLS game back but uh they'll be back in action pretty soon um does Messi keep doing Messi things well there's no reason to believe he won't right
2: there's there's no there's absolutely no reason to believe that he won't I don't know if it will continue at this rate you know 10 goals on 25 shots so far is is otherworldly other like in, in every single definition of that of that word, he has been absolutely unbelievable, which is the story of, of leo messi 's career, right He is one of one at eleven days out of, of of ten right He is t- truly special what i don 't know is if he'll continue to score at this rate and rescue Miami at this rate in every single game, but you know Messi will still be Messi, and it 's reasonable to believe that the team around him will continue to improve as well, right? I think mm-hmm. Messi has still been everything for this team in the attack. We've gotten a, a bit of a production. We've seen a bit of production from Robert Taylor and Joseph Martinez, but everything is still revolving around Messi. And we've seen some teams like Nashville in the League's Cup, like Dallas earlier on in the tournament, really take it to Miami and, and have some success. Dallas opened up the game. Nashville closed down the game a little bit more pressured Busquets really, really well with their front two and their in their midfield two. Nashville did and, and really shut down Leo Messi. He didn't have a key pass. He didn't play a through ball. He didn't, uh, he didn't create any chances. He scored a banger, though, from outside the box. And that, it seems like, is what Messi can do every single game. I'm curious about a couple things for Miami between now and the end of the year. I do think they can make the playoffs. I think it's more likely than not that they will at this point. I'm curious to see if if they will trend... Even more positively than we've seen so far, which I know sounds impossible given that they haven't lost in seven games, but they signed in addition to Messi and Busquets and Alba, who's been quiet, to be honest, you know, he's done some good things, but he's not really when you watch Miami or when I watch Miami, maybe I should speak for myself here, not the world. He's not leaping off the screen to me. And I think that's a function of him being at left back rather than in midfield or higher up the field on the attack. Will they get better as Alba gets more integrated, as the young players continue to improve? Benjamin Kramaski and, and Gomez in midfield, the young winger they signed, and, and all of those players as they continue to gel and improve this team's ceiling? Or, on the flip side, Ryan, are Messi and Busquets and Alba going to get really tired? The team's not going to gel quite at this level. Messi will stop scoring at this rate. He will continue to score 100%, but he'll stop scoring you know, every two and a half shots that he takes. And maybe Miami will still be very very good because they're on talent better than any team in MLS right now but you know maybe they won't be quite as good as they've been if you had to pick between one of those routes of of maybe continuing to improve or continuing to dominate and and starting to slip Ryan do you have a a leaning
1: I think it has to be the latter and m- mostly because surely teams will start figuring it out as you say like that you know you shut down Busquets you uh, you, you make it, make it so that Messi can't do messy things as uh, yeah. to the extent that you can and it's inevitable. Like you think of even like the Leicester team that won the Premier League, the, the following season everybody had it figured out. Basically. Sure, sure. And I'm not saying it will take this long with this Inter Miami team, but there's there's got to be a couple of things that MLS teams are watching and things that they could do to slow this progress down, surely.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. And and we will see real tests for this Miami team. Not that they haven't been tests. I mean, they beat Philly and Nashville, and and a good Dallas team, even though they're struggling a bit in the Western Conference. You know, they have some real success in League's Cup against legit teams. Now, though, we're going to see them play FC Cincinnati in the U.S. Open Cup. That'll be tomorrow, Wednesday, August 23rd, as, as we're recording on the 22nd. Then they've got the Red Bulls, who haven't been good in MLS this year, but have a very clear way of playing, and one that I think, Ryan, could rattle as much as you can rattle, kind of like you said, Busquets and Messi in, in that group. And then they've got Nashville again in the regular season, and then they've got LAFC, right? So that's a, a pretty difficult four-game stretch, Messi doesn't seem to want to be on the bench. Tato Martino said he's starting tomorrow, and, and maybe there'll come a time when Messi needs a break, but you know, that time is not now. It seems like they're these aging stars are, are pretty content to play every game and do their thing and continue to try and win. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think I yeah. would lean towards Miami picking up a couple of losses, but maybe becoming a more versatile and more dangerous team between now and the end of the season. And I would still, if I had to put money on it, I don't know if I'd put money on them winning MLS Cup, but I would put a little bit of money on them making the postseason
1: all right I, I'm, I'm on board with that Joe as a slight aside I don't know if you've heard anything about this but do we know if Messi and Busquets are going to play on turf this season I don't know if they've said anything uh, but I mean there's a few games to come where they will have that scenario
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and Charlotte is one of them. Correct. Is this is correct. this a, a personally motivated? Qu- I yeah. mean, it's- signed by somebody who
1: has a ticket for a game at Bank of America Stadium. Yes. <laughs> <Right>.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, Messi said he's fine on turf. He said he played on turf all throughout his academy career. He said it's, it's not a problem. He spoke to the media last week. I believe it was Thursday uh, in, in Spanish, obviously. But there's there's plenty of great folks covering this sport in Spanish. And we got lots of good coverage of that event. And he said, yeah, it's fine. He was asked about it. He seemed completely unconcerned. I think it's still suboptimal that MLS has a lot of these games being played on turf, but, yeah, he, he didn't seem to mind. Busquets didn't say anything about it. He wasn't at that press conference as far as I know. But, yeah, I would expect to see Messi rested in certain games between now and the end of the year with some midweeks coming up you know, several times between now and the end of the year, but mm. I don't know that that rest will necessarily tie into whether a game's going to be on turf or not.
1: That's good. Well, that's interesting to see whether that positivity about turf translates to actually playing on it, but obviously right. it's not been shut down, which is a good
2: well. And it's, it's weird, Ryan, because I'm, I'm cynical in that way as well. When I think, oh, he's just kind of saying it. I don't think anybody tells Messi what to say, right? I think Messi is kind of like he's going to get up and he's going to say what he wants and he's going to, yeah. I guess, now be happy, go lucky. And if he's fine with turf, he's going to say it. And if he's not fine with turf, he's probably going to say that too. And MLS is going to kind of like cringe a little bit in the corner. But I, I mean, it's it seems like he's kind of running the show and he seems to be fine with it.
1: Good for him. All right, you love to see it, Joe. Let's talk about some of the outgoing moves that we've seen over this summer, or ones that are still to happen, including Georgi Petrovic of the Revolution. Seeing a few different links here. Chelsea, perhaps $18 million, say ESPN, for this potential.
2: Yeah, this is a, a huge move. It's a huge move for the Rebs, Uh and a potentially difficult one for them in terms of competing over the rest of the season. Petrovic has been the best goalkeeper in MLS since he arrived. So about 16 months he's been in this league. He was the greatest—he recorded, Ryan, the greatest shot-stopping season in MLS history last year. He saved New England over 10 goals throughout the entire year. It was the best season in in recorded league history. Absolutely unbelievable. He's been a top-three shot-stopper this year with with Roman Berkey from St. Louis and Daniel of the San Jose Earthquake. So he's been, again, the cream of the crop this season in in 48 games now in total with the Revolution in Major League Soccer. He was signed to replace Matt Turner, who then went to Arsenal— and now Petrovic is going to Chelsea, right? So it's been a, a very strange and unexpected, but fantastic for these players pipeline from the Revs and their goalkeeper union over to you know the two biggest Premier League clubs in London. Petrovic is the real deal, man. And, and the Revs are going to miss him. They're going to welcome the cash, but they're going to miss him. They're not going to be able to replace him with a player of his caliber because those players are so few and far between. There aren't very many of them in the entire world. I am I'm really, really high on Georgi Petrovic. He's going to Chelsea. Keppa. Keppa left earlier in this window, right? You know, moving to, to Real Madrid. Mm. They brought in Robert Sanchez from Brighton after Mendy went to Saudi Arabia as well. So there's been a, a decent bit of shuffling for Chelsea in the goalkeeper position, as there has been in every other position, it yeah. seems. Yep. Uh, but like, Petrovic is, is the real deal. He is so, so good. He's a Serbian international, 23 years old, six foot four, good wingspan, good decision-maker, uh, really good shot-stopper, as I've already mentioned, saves a ton of goals, over-expected, and, and claims crosses fairly well. Doesn't have much skill with his feet. And and we can blame New England for that because same with Matt Turner. They don't care if their goalkeepers have any skill with their feet. You know, they're, they're paying long balls. They're not trying to build up from the back. That's going to need to change before I would imagine he gets a, a real extended look with Chelsea. But Ryan, this guy's awesome. This is a really good signing from Chelsea, which is not a sentence that I'm especially accustomed to saying at this point. Okay. Well, uh, do we know if it's a, is it an eight year deal? Are they doing that thing? Oh, I, I think I think now they've extended to ten, so the, the contract's going to be through twenty thirty three. Petrovic will only be, you know, I guess thirty three by then. So, you know, still Buffon on his way to success in in, yeah. in in Chelsea.
1: I mean, I guess it works a little better for a goalkeeper. And is a it, just, but if you land <laughs> one of those long term contracts, you must think, wow, wow, I've made it here. going oh, go live in southwest London in a nice big Georgian home. For eight years Excellent until i stuff. die basically yes yep. <laughs> indeed uh lucas and Ryan has gone to saudi arabia to alpha tear who uh have christian tello on the books formerly of lafc uh oh, the wow. mls saudi pipeline has- <laughs> yeah yeah i had to look it up but uh the uh, the pipeline has opened up there joe it
2: uh, you, you're kind of kidding there ryan but i do genuinely wonder what this will look like right saudi arabia's rise uh, on the sporting side of things uh, has had real implications for the Premier League and real implications for European soccer, as the the league there has been poaching players and paying them lots of money and paying big transfer fees and all those kinds of things. I, I do wonder like how these two leagues, MLS and, and and Saudi's top league, are going to relate to each other, because Saudi Arabia in in the top end talent they have still out outdoes what Major League Soccer can put on the field. But, you know, they're more equal in level. And I wonder if we're going to see Saudi Arabia come in for more and more players. Like the Coles Hill types of players. The Lucho Acosta types of players. You know, those attacking midfielders that are still among the best players in the world. But maybe European soccer has changed to the point where there's not a real home for them in a top-level league like the Premier League. Maybe like a Federico Bernadeschi. Is Toronto are in absolute chaos right now? Maybe there's a move in it for him. Maybe Christian Espinosa. Like a, a winger looking for his last paycheck for, for San Jose. We saw Zellerayn leave in this window, as you, as you led me in with, and, and Gabby Pereira, NYCFC winger, now former NYCFC winger, went to Qatar earlier in this window as well for a big money fee. So you know, maybe the rise of soccer, certainly in Saudi Arabia and, and maybe in, in some surrounding areas, could have an impact on MLS. And, and I'm curious to see what that will look like if it turns into a trend of some sort.
1: Fun. Fun stuff, Joe. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, you mentioned it earlier. Rangers have got themselves a Jose Chafuentes.
2: Yep. Graham says seafood doing good. MLS people know that Sifuentes is good and maybe should have played more at the World Cup, but he's a a complete number eight. He can drive the ball forward really well, comfortable in tight spots, still doesn't always make the right decision in the final third. And I think that's what holds him back from being like a, a top 10 Premier League team kind of player right now at this point in his career. But he's really, really good. I think he will be an anchor for Rangers throughout the season you are going to miss him, but they've got talent from within. They also added some talent from outside the club in the transfer window, as we talked about earlier. I'm looking forward to seeing Mateusz Bogus play as a number 8 more in that 4-3-3. You know, got a lot of minutes as a winger earlier this year, but doesn't look like a real X factor in the final third when it comes to goal scoring or chance creation. I think he'll have a lot more success than the 20-year-old, 21-year-old excuse me, progressing the ball from deeper areas and kind of getting the ball off of his foot to a Vela or to a Bowanga or to a Gonzalez or someone like that. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fine in L.A., and I think Sifuentes is going to do well in Scotland.
1: Marvelous stuff. One last transfer dealing to look at. Well, something, a, a transfer link at the least. Thiago Armada, who is still not made a move anywhere. Napoli, Man United, Man City, et cetera, et cetera, and so on, have been linked with him. Uh, the first active MLS player to win the World Cup seems to be staying in the South.
2: It seems that way. Atlanta United just gave him the number 10 shirt and said, yep, you're you're here. And it feels like this is going to continue between now and the rest of the season, and likely he'll end up moving in the winter. That's not inside info for me, but that is me reading the tea leaves. It is good news for Atlanta United, who are still not like a guaranteed postseason team. It seems very likely that they will make the playoffs. Currently in seventh in the Eastern Conference on 38 points, a bit of a gap between them and eighth and ninth. But Atlanta have been really erratic this year. Pineda is still a big question mark as manager, they've dealt with some injuries. And their goalkeeping has been tragic, to be honest. Brad Guzan's been the worst goalkeeper in MLS this year. I believe he's also the oldest goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. He dealt with an injury as well, and, and his replacement struggled too. So Atlanta need all the help they can get with Almada, with Yakimakis, who is now garnering European interest as well after joining Atlanta from Celtic over the offseason. Yakimakis is awesome as well. And with those two players, Almada and, and Gigi up front, like Atlanta can win any game. They have the talent to, to beat anybody, but they need that talent to stick around because... If they lose it and they can't replace it at this point, which they, they can't really, and is shipping goals on the back, they are going to be in trouble.
1: Marvelous stuff. Thank you, Joe. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at a few of the teams to spotlight, a few storylines to keep an eye on listener. Back shortly.
2: This
0: episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham and Joe. Just kidding.
1: Total Soccer Show, welcome back, we're talking MLS, let's go to the East, Joseph Lowry, Cincinnati, as you mentioned earlier, still top, they are, I'm going to refer back to the bookies uh, odds, they are top of the bookies odds to win MLS Cup as well, hmm. only lost three matches, eight points clear, things looking good for the second Queen City, the non-Queen City, Queen City, let's call
2: them that. <laughs> the slightly more Western and Northern Queen City, Queen City 2.0, things are looking good, like since he's still top of the of the Shield race. Uh, they're not invincible. And I think we saw that over the weekend, losing 3-0 to Columbus, as I mentioned earlier. They're really good. They're probably going to win the Shield. But at this point, I'm not really sure that they're better than any of the, the top kind of 25% of MLS teams. Like, you think about LAFC, you think about Columbus and Nashville and Philly and New England. You know, maybe maybe New England will still be in that combo, maybe not. by the time the season ends, Miami, like, you know, that's just the Eastern Conference and then LAFC from the West. You talk about Seattle, maybe St. Louis and that group, though they're probably still a bit outside. Since they are not uh, flawless, right? They're still having their own issues. They're still integrating Aaron Bupenza, who was their Brenner replacement. They added him fairly early in the window, but he's still trying to find his rhythm. Brandon Vasquez has not rivaled his scoring record from last season. They're still weak in in midfield next to Nwobodo. They're still a bit weak in the back line if they're if they're down a center back. But they're a good team, right? And they're capable of winning any game. They've got a nice buffer. I believe they've only lost three matches this whole season, and one of them came on Sunday. They've got a nice buffer. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to see with Cincy, they've got some difficult games, the U.S. Open Cup semifinal tomorrow. You know, this feels a bit like an inflection point for their mm. season where if they really come out and, and rebound from this loss of the weekend, they're going to go really, really strong into the last stretch of the year. If they struggle and maybe if they lose to Miami and, and maybe falter a bit with their regular season form from this point forward, you know, maybe there's either a bit more of a race for the shield or they're not quite as strong of a playoff contender as they appear to be. Still a good team though.
1: At the other end of the East, Joe, uh, Toronto, you mentioned a bit of a a trash, garbage, fire, whatever we call it, going on uh, up there, I should say. How does a team with their level of spending and the quality on their roster end up um, with with 12 losses on the season so
2: far? It it takes a lot of different things going on, Ryan, is is the the short answer to that question. It takes uh, people not getting along inside the organization and having challenges in the locker room. We know that was the case with some good reporting from The Athletic. Bob Bradley was fired earlier this year and they've started cleaning house a bit. Bradley and and Bernadeschi certainly did not get along. The fact that Michael Bradley is there as well makes things strange and, and awkward at times for everybody inside that organization. And that didn't seem to help. And then that's one factor. And then you have the fact that the two Italian stars, Bernadeschi and Insigne have not been anywhere as good or as focused or as, as effective on the field as advertised, right? Or as we know they could be Insigne, has been injured and looks disinterested basically whenever he's on the field. Bernadeschi has been much more effective but still has not been like a a genuine game changer for them at this point in the year. So when the two players that you were building your team around are seemingly disinterested in beefing with your coaching staff and you're going through now a transition with the coaching side of things and you signed a bunch of really more elderly veteran players during the offseason to try to push for a title and now it's very clear that you're not going to do that. All of those things add up to a pretty significant rebuild. And that's what we've seen happen. Mark anthony Kaye is gone. Matt Hedges is gone. Richie Larea is gone. Those players were supposed to be kind of cornerstones of this team as they pushed for a trophy this year. Now they took flyers on some young attackers in this offseason. Uh, in, in this transfer window, excuse me. They added some grit in midfield, like just some real destroyer types in Latif Blessing and Franco Ibarra. They're, they're trying to get younger. And they're also now in the market for a new coach, like a new permanent coach. And it feels like, Ryan, that John Herdman, according to reports reports from Tom Bogert and Josh Cloak, is going to be that guy. I'm not too sure that in this situation I would go after a coach that's never coached at club level before. He's coached New Zealand's women's team, Canada's women's team, Canada's men's team, knows soccer in Canada. Obviously, I'm not disputing that. And seems like a guy that can really get some buy-in and can help move you forward. But for a situation with a, a, a green head coach at club level and a new GM in Jason Hernandez... Doesn't feel like a great fit to me, Ryan. Do you Do you fall on one side of the the, the line or the other on you know international coaches becoming club coaches and, and vice versa, and maybe how easy or difficult that transition is?
1: I think on a day to day basis, uh, uh, in terms of the working process, it's a very different catch yeah. of fish, as we know, Joe. But I think it's a case by case basis. It's really hard to say. It depends on mm-hmm. experience, really, doesn't it? Um, and generally, if you do you are coaching a national team, you have experience at club level anyway. So going back to that isn't always the roughest transition sure. that might be going to the national team coaching, yeah. if that makes sense. So, yeah.
2: I don't, The answer is, I have no idea. And that's <laughs> that's kind of the theme for Toronto right now. Like we, we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know that Herdman for sure will get that job. That was the, the latest reporting yesterday, I believe. But it feels like he's trending in that direction. I think there could be big... Huge hurdles if that is the direction they decide to go. And then you've got to figure out what to do with the Italian stars. You've got to figure out how to infuse more talent and, and more filler players kind of around whoever the new DPs are, or maybe they're the same ones for next season, even though that seems doubtful. Just like question after question after question for Toronto FC right now.
1: Oh boy, oh boy. I've got some questions for you, Joe. What should I make of Charlotte FC this season? Uh, I, I can't quite understand how I should be assessing them at the moment obviously did pretty well get into the quarterfinals of the league's cup but Christy Natanzio the coach still remains uh, not the most popular man in North Carolina shall we say I, I like a lot of the transfer business that Charlotte's done like Justin Merrim when he came with Marasil. I saw like an, an immediate step up in quality there yeah. had a good introduction to the team and then we've got players like Ashley Westford, uh, Westwood and Scott Arfield older players coming over from Europe who I think have been great additions but whether that's the way to build a team or not I'm jury's out on that one i suppose last home win for charlotte may 17th over the fire winless mm. in the last eight mls games tied five of those games this team loves to tie this season <laughs> and you know we we know what this team's about uh, charlotte fans you've know, got an, an owner worth 18 billion dollars who's not looking to spend billions of dollars on this team He's looking about extracting maximum value from the team scouting four corners of the globe that's the theory anyway behind recruitment on this team what should what, what should the ceiling be? What should I think of this team, I suppose, is the question. I, at,
2: at this point, the ceiling feels lower than anybody in Charlotte would want it to be, Ryan, right? and lower than you would want it to be. They go out in the offseason and sign Enzo Capetti, a player who I, has been a, honestly a little better than I thought he would be in in the times where he's been on the field, but he's been dealing with some injuries, and that was still a, a bit of a strange signing when they already have a number nine and Karol Svaderski. Maybe you play them together, and we've seen that for stretches, but felt like a weird allocation of resources The reality, Ryan, for this team, the talent level is just not high enough. And I said this over the offseason, and Charlotte fans got mad at me. But the the talent just isn't there right now. Zoran Crenetta has not done a very good job. And and I'm I'm sure he's a nice dude and and, does a lot of good things. But the team is just not good enough to compete with the best of the best in the Eastern Conference. So whenever you're thinking about this team, whenever fans are thinking about it, I think you kind of have to use that as a framework where, you know, if they outkick their coverage a little bit, that's a good season. If they perform kind of at that level, that's, that's what's to be expected and sitting in 12th in the East, still with things to play for, but Miami coming up from behind them will make pushing for the playoffs even harder than it would have otherwise been. Mm. It feels unlikely that they'll end up in the postseason. And now what is this year two for Charlotte? Ryan, is that that's right. Isn't it times a flat yeah. circle? Okay. Yeah. Like you're heading into year three and, and I'm not sure you've really answered any questions about this team. And I, I don't know. I don't get any joy in, in saying any of this stuff. I know you love Charlotte FC, and I know there are lots of other folks out there that do. I hope things improve. But Ryan, I don't know. When you look at this roster and, and really look at what it's delivered over the last two seasons, and, and things, of course, change between year one and year two, I'm guessing it doesn't fill you with real joy to look at kind of what the product has been, even though maybe there there are some attempts to play fun, aesthetically pleasing soccer that I, as a neutral, have enjoyed. It just it just hasn't been very good. <sighs>
1: That's my analysis there, Joe. All right, let's move on to the West, shall we? Uh, St. Louis still on top, as we mentioned. A League High 49 goal scored by St. Louis. Seven points clear. Very impressive start. What's the secret? What's... What's the secret behind this, this, this inaugural season, the foundations for success that they've built? Because when, before they started out, I don't know if we thought they would
2: uh, blaze no. a trail like they have. I thought they would not, to be very clear. I was very wrong. I was 100% wrong. I thought they would really struggle and be you know towards the bottom of the Western Conference. I was wrong. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm wrong a lot, and I was wrong on this one. Ryan, <laughs> I, I'm thinking the secret is just, like, hire a, a chief soccer officer with a real history with penguins. That feels yeah. to me like the right thing to do. Um, Who does Lutz commentary funny. most weekends for a different right, league, yeah? Right, who's just, like, hanging out, doing his thing, going to MLS <laughs> games, making moves behind the scenes, doing studio work for ESPN and the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich. Like, it, it's, it's crazy how well things have worked. But I do want to give Lutz Fahn and Steele credit. The players that he's identified have done a very good job and have been better than I thought. Players that he obviously has connections to with Jao Klaus and Edward Löwen. Klaus has been injured a lot. Um, but Roman Berkey then has, has picked up the slack as a goalkeeper for them a very good pedigree, but not a goalkeeper that had been very good for Dortmund towards the end of his time there. And the Lutz along with Bradley Carnell, as manager, another person that Lutz has connections to, have done a fantastic job. Like, I'm, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek with some of this stuff in terms of just find yourself a Lutz and you'll have success. But... Another side of this is having an identity and St. Louis do have an identity from minute one of this regular season. They have known exactly how they want to play. They have a way of playing. They're going to be stout defensively, or they're going to try to be at least they're going to press. They want to create as many transitions as possible, either in the final third or in the middle third somewhere and then run at you. And and they're one of the teams, Ryan, we talked about intensity and and energy from, uh, from different teams throughout the regular season at the top of the show and how maybe that, that dips a little bit in different moments It doesn't feel to me like St. Louis have dipped. Like, their energy and their commitment and their buy-in has been there from the start of the season and is still here now as they continue to push to finish on top of the Western Conference and lock up home field advantage for as long as they're playing Western Conference teams in the postseason. Like, you have buy-in, you have an identity, you have some capable match winners, and you add those things together. And you have a, a really, really competitive team in Major League Soccer. Wow. Cat
1: food stadium in the playoffs, Joe. Who'd have thought? Never it? misses. Ryan. Who'd have thunk Never it? misses. Indeed. Uh, any other teams to highlight in the West? How about um, Rail Salt Lake uh, in third at the moment? Thirty-four goals shipped in twenty-four games. So obviously not watertight at the back, but uh, having some fun there in uh, Utah.
2: They are. They really are. It's it's been a, a good transfer window for RSL. I think they added Chicho Arango. I mentioned that earlier from Pachuca, who gives them another dimension up top. Really. You, know, you add Arango to Demir Krylak and Jefferson Savarino and Diego Luna, young U.S. international. If if listener, if you haven't watched Diego Luna, go like pull up three clips after you've watched The Mandalorian, which is what will pop up first. But then go and watch <laughs> not shoot not The Mandalorian andor. I'm a fake Star Wars fan. That's really really bad on my part, Ryan. You as as now an authentic Star Wars fan should have corrected me immediately. But it's it's fine. Um, go watch Diego Luna clips because he's really really good. Uh, now in the attack, RSL will have like four legitimate game winners in, in that in that four four two shape for Pablo Mastroeni. They added a couple of midfielders and kept some key players in this window as well. They've got a US Open Cup semifinal on Wednesday too. They're playing the Houston Dynamo and I think should be favored in that game and could end up, well, I guess it's not a home game for them, so probably shouldn't be favored. But on talent, they're the better team of those two and could end up playing for a trophy between Miami and Cincinnati if they can progress to the final. I really like watching this team. They're very flawed. Defensively, Ryan, you mentioned some issues, but... The attack is is super fun right now.
1: It is indeed. All right, one more thing left to do. I want to look at uh, the potential MLS Cup winners because, Joe, I know you just – every time before we record listener right. Joe says, yep. whatever you do, just give me some predictions to make That's it right. the end of the show. I That's demand it. You're,
2: you're making out to be better than I am. I demand it. Like, <laughs> I, I really pitch a fit yeah. about wanting to make some yeah. predictions.
1: It is. So I'll give Joe his wish. Um, as I mentioned, Cincy a favorites for MLS Cup. LAFC are in second. Inter Miami, as I mentioned, third. Then the Union. Then the Revs. Then St. Louis at 10-1. to Hmm gonna be one of those most likely but uh, do we think since he can go the distance or do you need a bit more playoff experience to uh to do that
2: I think they can go the distance there's no doubt about that I don't think they will be my favorite right now but they should be among that group I think Cincinnati are, are probably still you know top two in my estimations for the postseason I would go laFC again the odds are stacked against all these teams but with the work they've done in this transfer window I think there's very clearly another rung for them to reach up and grab between now and MLS Cup if they should be fortunate enough to make it that far. They've, they've just gotten better, and they were already really good. They've shored up some, some very obvious weak points in their roster build. That encourages me a lot and should encourage LAFC fans a lot. They have the, the match winners to go out and, and get that job done. And I think they're a more complete team. Then FC Cincinnati, who I mentioned earlier, still have a couple of weak points. But Cincinnati are, again, they're, they're really, really good. It would not surprise me if they make a run. Same with Nashville. Same with Philly. Same with Seattle. I mean, maybe same with a team like St. Louis and, and same with a team like Miami. Should they make the playoffs? There are any number of teams that could get the job done. But I will hedge towards LAFC, Ryan. And I will now return the question to you because we know you demanded your prediction time as well. Mm. Who do you have down as the MLS Cup winner?
1: LAFC. For reasons I yeah, I think uh, it takes heritage to uh, heritage. f c as we know, for literally years have had heritage in the uh, postseason.
2: For literally, f- however long they've been in Major League Soccer, five five years. They have lots of hair. <laughs> that club has much heritage, Ryan. Much, much of it.
1: That's it. That's it. All right. How about top goal scorer? By the way, Are we going um, Honey hani- Muktai is leading with thirteen at the moment. Uh, Georgie Giacomakis Giecom- in second, and then. Um, this is in the odds, excuse me. Uh, sure. Jacob Messi is second in the odds, and then Messi is third in the odds. Messi's a tempting
2: have- pick, Ryan. He's, <laughs> so he's re-
1: got, like, 11 games to do
2: it in. <laughs> he's a really tempting pick. I would I would not end up going with Messi, even though I'm very, very tempted to do so. I'm not sure there's enough time, and I do think he's going to miss a game or two, which is, like, precious when you're trying to come back in that race. So I think that could be difficult. I would lean towards Mukhtar. I believe he's he's leading the golden boot race right now yep. with goals for Nashville. I think he's probably going to hang on to that. And I'll say, honey, even though, man, Messi is a huge wild card here.
1: I think that's a crazy bet. If you get a on Messi to get a a golden boot in a a third of a season. But hey, uh, stranger things have happened in this here league, Joe. But for now, let's park our conversation. Joe, thank you very much for this enlightening uh, conversation in which I've learned a lot about the Major League Soccer. Thank you.
2: Right back at you, Ryan. And I hope Charlotte start doing better and that I look silly by the time the season's over
1: as hope hope springs eternal etc and so on thank you very much joe listener thank you very much for joining us on this one let us know what you think we'll be back on the feed very shortly but for now bye